your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 941. Now tomorrow is October 31st. And when we think of October 31st, <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Um, and when we think, if I were just to say to you October 31st, and you were out not at church, most of us would think of Halloween. So, we see this throughout our culture, all the decorations, even the gym I was working at, I was trying to get some stuff to use, and there were these fake cobwebs everywhere. Some of them may have been real, I don't know. Um, but I want to introduce you to another holiday on October 31st, one you might not be aware of. And the colors are not orange and black, but in fact the colors are red that you wear for this holiday. And this holiday, for those not aware, is Reformation Day. It is the day where we celebrate and remember the Reformation. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Reformation, the Reformation was a time in the 15 and 1600s where there was a particular time of reform within the church, hence Reformation. It was a time of going back to the sources of God's word and a time of reforming the doctrine and teaching of the church. The reason that October 31st has been chosen to celebrate this part of history is because on October 31st, 1517, which next year will be the 500th anniversary of this, October 31st, 1517, was the date that a guy named Martin Luther, who some of you may have heard of, took a hammer and some nails and a piece of paper and went up to his church door. Now, I do not recommend this. I'm going to be watching this week. And he took the hammer... This was common practice back then. It is not common practice now. And nailed this piece of paper to the church door. It was called the 95 Theses. Yes, that is the plural of thesis. And it was 95 ideas that he wanted to talk about with those in the church leadership. There were 95 places where he felt there needed to be reformation. And as we think about the Reformation, with our time this morning, I want to focus on five areas of reform that happened during this time using Romans chapter 3. Now you'll see them in your bulletin. We also have a slide for that. And we call these the five solas of the Reformation. Sola meaning a Latin word, which I'll explain in a little bit. For all you Latin junkies out there. 
So what are the five solas of the Reformation? Five key areas that were a focus of belief during the Reformation. First one, as you can see there, is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Now I'm just going to tell you what they mean, and then we're going to talk about them out of Romans 3. So the second one is sola fide, or faith alone. The third one, sola gratia, or gratia, depending on when you took Latin, which means grace alone. The fourth one, solus Christus, Christ alone. And the last one, soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. So we're going to look at these five solas this morning, and I'm going to tell you why they were important 500 years ago and why they are still important to you today. So again, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Our big idea this morning is going to be this. On Reformation Sunday, we celebrate the truth of the Bible that we are saved from sin by grace through faith in Jesus to live a life that glorifies God in all that we do. So let's start with number one there in your outline located in your bulletin of sola scriptura, scripture alone. Follow along as I read verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Paul begins this section of his letter to the Romans, and he's talking about how do sinners become righteous? How do sinners who are separated by their sin from a holy God become reconnected to that holy God who created him? And the first thing that he begins with, he's going to set out an argument about this. And the first thing that he says here in verse 21 is that although you cannot become righteous from doing the law, the law, here referring to their Bible, the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. And again, as we think of the truths recovered in the Reformation, we see here that if you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what God wants, then you need to know his Bible. Part of the problem in the 1500s was this. It wasn't that they didn't like the Bible, it's just that they liked other things too. And instead of the Bible getting first place and being the ultimate authority, it was one of many authorities. So you would have something that when the Pope would speak ex cathedra, meaning from the throne, it was on the same level as the Word of God. And so Luther and the other reformers were calling the church back to a true understanding of God's Word. And it is not the Bible plus the traditions plus the proclamations of a pope, but rather Scripture alone is the ultimate authority in our lives. That it is the ultimate 
authority of truth, and how we should live. All summations, all formulations from anyone must be measured by the word of God and the word of God alone. The word of God is not one of many, it alone is number one. The Bible is God's testimony to us. Now what does that look like in our lives? One thing that it must say to us is that the word of God must have priority in our lives. There's no magic number of how many minutes you need to spend in God's word every day, but you need to be in God's word. And then the second step of that is you not only need to know God's word, but when you and God's word disagree, guess which one's right? (laughs) I'll give you a hint. Not you. We can play games with God's word a lot, but here is the ultimate question. Is it your authority or is it not? Do you believe that it is God's word to us or not? And that was one of the things that the Reformation sought to recover, an obedience, a submission to the authority of God's word as the ultimate authority. Now, the next three solas are related. So we're talking about faith alone, grace alone, in Christ alone. And they're related to this idea. I'm going to use a big word, and then I'm going to define it. This word of justification. It's a very good Bible word. It's a very long Bible word. It would be a decent Scrabble word because of the J, especially if you get it on a double letter or double word bonus. But here's what it means. We are separated from God because we are sinful and he is holy. And when we are justified, we are made righteous. We are made holy so that we can be in relationship with the holy God who created us. And so these next three solas explain how that happens. How are sinners justified? And if you want to backtrack and find out if you are in fact a sinner, we're going to see some of that here, and the beginning of Romans chapter 3 is a very real but very hard description of us. That all of us are sinners separated from from God. Martin Luther, when asked about the, justifi- the doctrine of justification, said this, that justification is the doctrine by which the church either stands or falls. So let's learn about how we are reconciled, how we are made right with a holy God in our sin And the first step of that is our second sola. Sola fide, by faith alone. Look at verse 22. 
the righteousness of God that he just referred to through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The word faith and the word believe are pretty much the same word. Believe is the verb, faith is the noun. This redundancy that Paul includes for us, this righteousness of God is available through faith for all who believe. What is this telling us? The conduit of forgiveness, the conduit of righteousness, just as a hose is a conduit of water, the conduit of God's righteousness is not our own righteousness. It's not our own pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and work extra hard because we're Americans. It is faith. It is only by faith. But the beautiful thing is that it is for all who have faith. Look again at the text. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for who? All who believe. Here's a common problem I think exists. We create levels of faith. Well, I mean, I don't have faith like that guy. He's like really, really faithful. Or I could never have enough faith to do that. But listen, the same faith that saves the most mature believer is the same faith that saves the most baby believer. You cannot be good enough. You cannot work hard enough to save yourself, to make yourself righteous. But guess what? If you believe, God will make you righteous. You don't make yourself good enough. Through faith in Jesus, the sinner is made righteous and reconciled to God. I want you to look at the end of verse 22. Now in this particular passage, the, the numbers of the verses don't always line up with the sentences. Let's work through it though. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you see the all there? All are sinners. There's no distinction. Guess what? There's no distinction with all who believe. If you have faith in Christ, you are made righteous. It's a complete leveler of the field. This is not cosmic kickball where God picks the best of us. Because guess what? None of us are the best of us. <laughs> but by faith, 
he saves us and makes us righteous where we could not. The one who has faith and faith alone. Again, part of the problem in the 1500s was this. Was that the church was saying at that time, well, your work needs to cooperate with the work that Jesus did. And let me tell you, even if we were responsible for 1% of the righteousness and Jesus was responsible for the 99, we would fail. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it can only be through faith. And we cannot become proud thinking that we have somehow worked super hard so that God has to pick us because we're so awesome. No, we experience his mercy and his grace by faith, not by works. Now let's talk about that grace. And we see the third sola. Sola gratia, grace alone. Look at verse 24. Let me start in verse 23 and then we'll go to verse 24. Because remember, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and are justified. There's an assumed all there. And all are justified, how? By his grace as a gift. Faith is the conduit. Faith is the hose through which we receive righteousness and salvation. But even then, we don't deserve it. It must be by grace. And Paul gives us a little metaphor there. Do you see it? By grace as a gift. Just like when it's your birthday or Christmas and you receive a gift... It wasn't because you earned it. It's because the other person loved you and wanted to demonstrate that love to you by giving you this gift. In a similar way, God's righteousness works in that way. It was not because of anything we had done, but because of his love and his grace, he offered us salvation through faith in Christ as a gift. Again, another one of these great levelers of us all. Because we are all recipients of grace. God didn't say, well, guess, you know, I don't have to use as much grace with this one, so I'll save him, because I'm, I'm going to run out. I'm going to run out of grace. Drain in my bank account, guys. Come on. No. Just as all are sinners and therefore undeserving of the goodness of God, those who place their trust in Jesus Christ are all recipients of his grace. It is not earned, it is a gift. Fourthly, and again, these, these three are connected, that we're saved by grace, through faith. And not just faith as some amorphous 
belief like it is sometimes portrayed in TV shows. But it is faith in Christ. So that's our fourth sola. Solus Christus. Christ alone. And I want you to look at the repetition of Jesus throughout this whole passage. Let's start in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believed. 24, and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The amazing story of these verses is that salvation and righteousness are available to all who believe. But it is all who believe in Jesus. There is one way, but that way is for all who believe. Jesus succeeded where we failed. Jesus lived a righteous life, died an innocent death. You see this back in verse 25. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Again, another great scrabble word here, propitiation. What does it mean? When Jesus died on the cross, his death satisfied the justice of God and turned away the wrath of God against sin. That's what it means to be a propitiation, to turn away God's just wrath against sin. God hates sin. It needs to be punished. And the good news for us is it was punished in Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice, again, not anything we've done, but through his sacrifice, redemption, being able to be brought by God, we're now his through his blood, reference to the cross. Jesus died in your place so that when you place your faith in him, you will have his righteousness and forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. You can't die for yourself on a cross. Only Jesus could, and he did. Again, the problem in the church at that time was saying, well, my work needs to cooperate and help out Jesus' work. Let's get that last 5%. Jesus did 95, and let's push him over the edge. No. It is only through the redemption, the salvation, the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. In one sense, there's huge comfort in here. There's amazing pressure if you think you have to earn your salvation. 
that once you confess your sins, you better hope that you don't commit another one and then get hit by a car before you can confess it. But Jesus paid it all. Not you. And through faith, we get the benefits of the death of Jesus. And we can be made righteous and reunited with the God who created us. That leads to the last sola. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. One of the interesting parts about this passage is how it ends. Look at verses 25 and 26. The middle of the verse. God put forward Jesus as this sacrifice on our behalf, and this was to show God's righteousness. This was to show the goodness and the holiness and the glory of God. Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness. God saved us to demonstrate his goodness, his holiness, and his glory. So what does that mean for us? That as recipients of his grace, we are then to demonstrate his glory to a watching world. We were saved for the glory of God, and now we live for the glory of God. Your obedience cannot earn you salvation. But when you are saved, you are free to live a life of obedience that brings glory to God. You are to radiate the glory of God in your obedience to him. That as you love others, as you serve others, as you witness to the truth of the gospel, you are showing people the glory of God. Not your glory, but the glory of God alone. The other way that this showed itself, especially historically, was found in, in this quote. Let me read to you. In contrast to the monastic division of life into sacred versus secular, and this was the church in the time of the 1500s, perpetuated by Roman church, the reformers saw all of life to be lived under the lordship of Christ. Every activity of the Christian is to be sanctified unto the glory of God. One of the things the reformers saw was a compartmentalized life where you did all your holy stuff at church and you did all your holy stuff on Sunday, but the rest of life, you just do whatever you wanted because that was the secular time. But the truth that they sought to recover in trying to live a life for the glory of God was that every aspect of life was for the glory of God. Everything that we do is to radiate the holiness and the goodness of God. So tomorrow, as you see the jack-o'-lanterns out, as you see kids in costumes, as some of you adults are in costumes, I'm not judging, have fun, get some candy, hand out some candy, but remember the Reformation. 
Remember a time when people fought for the truth of God's word. For the truth that we are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And that everything we do, whether in word or deed, whether in church or out of church, whether on Sunday or Monday, is to be done for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that testifies to the truth of our salvation. We thank you that you sent your son to die in our place to take the punishment we deserve so that we could be saved and live a life that glorifies you in everything that we do. That we did not earn or work for our salvation, but that it came by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.